You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast, and today we have special episode number 16, and we are so tickled, Ooh. seriously, <laughs> that tickled. we have... <laughs> you are tickled we are just so like tickled. white girls. We're so tickled. We are so tickled <laughs> that um, we have Floor Cruise on our podcast Yay. today. So if if you guys don't know who Floor Cruz is, you better get to know who she is. <laughs> she, check out her Instagram and her Facebook, everything right now. Just pause. Pause before we even get into the episode and go add badass mother brother. All one word. Yep, all one word. You will not regret it. She's amazing. So she's going to be sharing her feedback story with us today. And we're going to also get into it a little bit and share more about her and what she does and why we think she is such a badass. Why we think she's the bomb.com. She is. Throwing it back, man. <laughs> you are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Okay, so I was 21 when I had my first done i did i i read what to expect when you're expecting i watched some birth videos and whatnot and i had kind of an idea of how i wanted to give birth to my son i really didn't want intervention i didn't want an epidural even though i didn't know what an undisturbed birth was and didn't know much about birth i i knew that's kind of like what i wanted for the birth of my son Mm -hmm. Um, and i figured that once i got to the hospital that I could just go in there and just tell them what I wanted. And then that would be that. And when I got to the hospital, I quickly found out that a lot of the people there had their own agenda. They weren't very happy that I didn't want the epidural, that I kind of wanted to be left alone. I felt very railroaded at my first birth. Like I felt like all of these things were happening to me without me being actually in control. Mm -hmm. So I'll never forget the nurses said, why would you not want the epidural? Don't you want to be happy when your baby's born? <gasps> and that really, that really stuck with me because I felt like she made it me feel like being in pain would not allow me to be happy when my son was born. Yeah. And, and so I gave in to the epidural because everyone in the room was like against me, wanted me to do it. And I was crying. I was in tears while they were giving me the epidural. I didn't want it. And the anesthesiologist just said, you know, you need to stop crying and catch your breath or I'm going to, you know, hit a spot in your spine that you don't want me to hit. It just felt like Hmm. very cold to me. And there was the the provider that was there that day was a midwife who was on call. And I just remember her being very calm when she came in and she kind of like saved the day for me a little bit because she was like, you're going to be fine. And, you know, baby's going to come out. And um, I I pushed for like three hours on my back just hard, hard pushing. I never thought I was going to be able to get him out. And when he came out, I knew I loved him because he was my son, but because so many things were happening to me and were out of my control, I didn't feel connected to him. Mm -hmm. Um, I would hold, I would hold him 
And it was like kind of almost like holding a stranger's baby. And it took me a long time to connect with him on an emotional level because I was trying so badly to disassociate myself from the birth and what had just happened and how all these things had happened that I didn't want. He wound up in the NICU because he had really bad jaundice. So I was separated from him for about a good week. I wasn't really able to breastfeed him. I I was able to breastfeed him for maybe like a couple weeks and that was it. I wound up formula feeding him. It was just like we had a really rough start with each other. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I didn't want to have any more kids after that, to be honest. I was like, if this is how people give birth, I don't, I don't want to have another baby. I, mm-hmm. I really don't. Um, the marriage with, with my son's father ended and a lot of years kind of went by. I really, I met my husband and when I met him, when I met him, he had a four month old son. So it's like I was kind of thrusted into being a mom mm-hmm. all over again. Yeah. Which was unexpected for me. But at the same time, it gave me the opportunity to like bottle feed and change diapers and like be a parent again, like to a baby and like kind of feel good about it again. Mm-hmm. And so after being married for a little while, me and my husband talked about having children of our own. It took me probably about a good year of kicking around the idea of thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I do want to have more kids. And around that time I had, I had been doing doula work, but I was kind of fairly new. I had done some internship at a birth center. So I was watching like a lot of home births and birth center births, hospital births, like helping people advocate for themselves. But I was still, I was fairly like a new doula at that time. And so I became pregnant and then I had a miscarriage. So that was devastating to like not want to have kids to yeah. being pregnant and then having a you know early miscarriage. So that was hard for us. And then two months after my miscarriage, I was pregnant again. And we were excited. We were elated and the pregnancy was progressing well. Everything was going good. And then it started out with my gestational diabetes, which sucked really bad. Mm-hmm. And then... He was in a frank breach position very early on. But my intuition told me that he wasn't going to turn. Like, I just knew he wasn't going to turn. Every time I went to see my provider, he said, you know, it's rare. Most babies usually turn. You've already had a vaginal birth. I wouldn't worry about it. Like, he seemed very nonchalant about it. But I was worried. I just knew that he wasn't going to turn. I was GBS positive. Let's see, my blood pressure was starting to creep up on me because I was becoming very nervous during all of my my appointments with the provider. And so we reached a point to where, you know, I'm 36 weeks and he's still, he's in a frank breach position and he's just, he's there. And I talked to my provider, because he's an older provider, and I I said, I know you know how to deliver breach babies vaginally Mm -hmm. because you're an older provider. I know you know how to do it and I do not want to have a cesarean. I want you to help me deliver this baby vaginally. And he absolutely said, no, he absolutely, absolutely wouldn't do it. And I said, what do I have to do for you to help me get this baby out? And he said, you would have to come into the hospital with the baby halfway hanging out of you for me to. Yeah. And I was like devastated, you know, and I said, well, what's the worst that 
could happen. And he said, the worst thing that could happen is your baby's head gets stuck in your pelvis and I have to decapitate him to get him out. <gasps> decapitate? <gasps> yes. He said, he said those I would have, words? He said that to a, to a full-blown pregnant woman. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, and me and my husband were like shocked. Uh, like that, yeah. we were like, are you kidding me? Like, that's the image that was filling in my head was my son being decapitated because hmm. he's telling me that would be, like, oh the worst decision gosh. ever, you know? And so I said, well, I guess I'm not going to do that, oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I asked him, what about an ECV to turn the baby? And he said, well, the worst thing that could happen with that is that the placenta has an eruption and I have to wheel you off to an emergency cesarean and you're not going to see your baby being born. That's the worst that could come from that. And they said, well, if you're not going to give me any other options, then I'm going to do the ECV. I want to try to turn him. And he said, wow, usually when I tell people that they don't want to try an ECV. So he was, wow. he was trying to, to me out of. He, was he was trying to scare you out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was essentially trying to talk me out of even trying to turn my baby. And I was like, no, I'm not like, I need you to try to turn him. Yeah. So I did everything in the meantime to try to turn him. You name it. I did it. Like everything. I prayed to him. Like I talked to my baby. I cried to my baby. I did inversions. I went to a chiropractor. I did moxibustion. You name it. I did it. You were hard. I did. I did. I worked so hard. And he just, he, he did not want to turn. And so I went to the hospital to do the ECV and I was already having kind of a little bit of contractions. This was around 37 weeks. So he came in there and he looked at the baby under ultrasound and he gave it a shot at turning the baby. And it was one of the most painful things ever. It hurt Mm. so bad. It was nothing like the smooth videos that I had seen online. Smoothly turning the baby. It was nothing like that. I was in full blown tears. My husband was frantically trying to get me to relax and my son's booty was far wedged down into my cervix and he was Mm. not moving. He Mm. was down there. And so the only other option he gave me at that point was, well, we can come back in a week and I can have somebody else help me, but that's going to be two of us pushing on your belly. And I said, absolutely not. I'm not touching me. (laughs) Yeah. Like I barely made it through you doing this to me there's no way I'm going to handle two of you guys doing this to me and the next day my belly was sore it was bruised I mean I was in agony and then I tried calling like the only provider in the area that does do breach vaginal deliveries his name was Dr. Wu out of Glendale and I was already so far along that they were like there's no way like you're too far along like we can't take you and I died on the inside because I was a perfect mm. candidate. I had already had a vaginal delivery. Yeah. He was in a frank breech position. He wasn't measuring large. I didn't need Pitocin for my first birth. Like I was a perfect candidate in the eyes of someone who does vaginal breech deliveries. Hmm. So I went back to my provider and I said, Listen, if we're gonna do cesarean, I'm not scheduling it. I'm I'm going to wait till I go into labor on my own. I want to give my baby every last chance to turn and I won't wait till he's ready to be born. And on top of that, I want my husband next to you behind the curtain watching our son being born. Like, you're not going to just take this birth from me and then not give me any options. So he agreed to that. So around 39 plus five, I woke up to a big pressure and a pop and it was just a big gush of water. It was obvious that my water 
had ruptured. I got it. Yeah. I was scared because I knew that the C-section was coming. It was right around the corner. So I woke up my husband and I'm like, my water broke. Can you please get up like to check? I don't know why I asked him to check. I knew that it was, but he got up and he looked and he said, yeah, your water is broken. So I got up, I went to the restroom and I had already seen meconium in my water, which is normal. He's, He's butt down. Yeah. <laughs> butt down babies have meconium like right away. <laughs> and I actually went to the bed and I laid back down. I didn't want to go to the hospital. Yeah. I didn't want to go. And my husband was like, "We, what are you doing? Like, we have to go. And I did not want to go. And so I got up, we got our stuff, and my contractions started right away. Hmm. I started feeling them right away and they started coming. Like it wasn't like going smoothly into it. They started coming quick. So we went to the hospital right away, and by the time we got into triage, I was already, like, gasping for air, like, struggling to get Mm. through my contractions. It was going to happen quick had he allowed me. So the nurses came in, and they called my provider right away, and he was there, I feel like, within 10, 15 minutes. Like, it was fast. They must have called him and told him, like, she's progressing quickly, so you need to get, get down here. So he got there. He checked one more time with ultrasound to make sure that the baby was still breached and he was still breached. So at that point I was like, well, I gave my son to the last second pretty much to turn. So they brought me into the operating room and I was just, (laughs) I was really struggling to get through my contractions at that point while they were giving me my spinal and the nurse was holding me and helping me breathe through everything. And they were just coming and coming and coming on top of each other and they laid me back down and they kept asking me, do you feel this? Do you feel this? And I could feel it. And I said, I'm still, I'm not numb. Like you guys can't start yet. I'm not numb. So they stamped me back up, gave me another spinal and then laid me wow. back down. And at this point I'm in tears. I'm bawling. I needed my husband like really, really bad. I was terrified. I was shaking. I was just strapped to the table. Like it was the most terrifying thing like I had ever been through in my life, something that I didn't want to, didn't want to do. And my husband came in and it was like, my anxiety went from like a hundred to like 50, like it went down dramatically as soon as I saw him walk in and he was just stroking my hair and wiping my tears and telling me everything was going to be fine. And we were going to see our baby soon. So I was just focused on him and he was helping me breathe. And so, um, they started the surgery and my provider called my husband to him behind the curtain. So my husband started walking behind the curtain and the nurses tried stopping him. But the provider said, you know, I told him that he could be, he could be back here watching his son be born. So he was there watching him come out, which was a relief for me because I didn't want my son to feel like he was alone, which sounds weird, but I wanted nope, him to be weird. someone familiar to him. Yep. So he came out. My husband took pictures. He stayed with him the whole time. Um, I could hear him crying, which was, like, awesome. He was vigorous right away. Brought him to me, placed him skin to skin. And this time I was very aware of being skin to skin with him and being close to him and bonding with him. I didn't want to not feel connected to him like how I did with my first. Yeah. And what I should mention with my first two is that the epidural failed. So not only was it an epidural that was pushed on me, but it failed. I had a failed epidural. So I was in agony to like the very end, which was 
miserable. <laughs> miserable because you don't even have the normal flow of hormones when you have a failed epidural because you don't have you don't have that it's just you don't have the flow of hormones all you have is pain because the epidural is not natural to the body right so that was traumatic for me to have this failed epidural but with my son I just made sure like hold him I breastfed him and so like I had a much better bonding experience with him but again my birth experience was terrible. I hated it. I couldn't wait to get out of there. After a day of being in the hospital, I said, get these staples out of me. I want, I'm out of here. And I left. I left after a day and it went home with my baby. I'm still upset about it. I'm still upset that, you know, that that happened like that and that I was forced to do something I didn't want to do. Um, And let's see, 10 months After that surgery, I found out I was pregnant again, which was a total shock. And I cried when I found out I was pregnant because I knew how hard it was going to be to get a VBAC and how unsupportive a lot of people are of it. And I had just had a cesarean, and I know that a lot of providers want that 18-month gap, which I wasn't even there. So I was upset already thinking about what the possibility could be. And so I kind of got myself out of that, and I'm like, okay, just get yourself out of that. You need to find yourself a provider that's going to support you. And so I had met a provider not that long after my cesarean that was rallying in front of a hospital with all of us in OB for a hospital that had taken away vaginal breech births that Dr. Wu was attending at. And so I remember linking up with him and thinking, like, wow, this is an amazing OB who's out there in front of a hospital with the rest of us, like, fighting for people's rights, you know? So I contacted him, and I said, look, I'm pregnant again. I just had a cesarean not that long ago. I really want a VBAC, and I know that you you also know how to deliver breech babies vaginally. And can you help me if my next baby is breech? I still wanted to have a VBAC. I, I'm not going to have another cesarean. And I know that you have evidence-based care and you are for options with for women and families. Can you help me? He said, absolutely. Like, you can totally have a VBAC. You're in control. I totally support you. So I started Aww. seeing him and he was just a godsend throughout my whole pregnancy. I would go in there and cry in his office and he wouldn't even, he would like console me. And like, he was so, um, he was so amazing. He was so supportive throughout the whole thing. We talked about a lot of evidence-based care. I told him what I wanted, what I didn't want. Towards the end, I didn't want NSTs done just because I know they have a high fail rate. And he was—he didn't fight me on it. He was just like, "It's your—you know—it's your call." Anytime I refuse anything, he would say, "It's your call." You know, Good. this is your birth. This is your baby, and you know. I totally believe in you. I believe in your baby and your VBAC is going to happen. Not once did he ever say question anything that was negative to me ever, 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 ever. And I'm so grateful for that. And my pregnancy was so enjoyable because I knew that I had someone that was on my side that was supportive, that I knew that no matter what happened, if my baby was a breach or not, or if something else arose that I was in, I was in good hands. I wasn't with the provider that was going to make me fight. Do you know what I mean? Yep. 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 I do. So, yeah. So I didn't have any growth scans because I really didn't care how big my son was. Good I for just you. knew that I was going to be able to birth him vaginally. 
regardless. So yeah. I really didn't care. Let's see. I got to about 40 weeks. I got to my due date and nothing was happening. And this was my longest pregnancy thus far because my first was born at 37 weeks. My second came at 39 and 5. And here I am at 40 weeks and I'm still pregnant, you know? Yep. So everyone around me was like, what's going on? What's yeah, the baby going to come out? And like, what's, <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the doctor going to do about it? Like, what do you mean what's, what the doctor's going to do about it? I'm not going to do anything. She's going to come out when she's ready. Like, mm-hmm. plain and simple. And people would ask me, how dilated are you? I don't know. And I don't care. I'm yeah. not checking. My doctor is not going to check. We don't care. It has nothing to do with what's going on with my body. She's going to come out when she's ready, when my body's ready to give birth to her. So I spent the last, you know, few days just like not caring, to be honest, just like you going to come and like feeling good about it, you know, and I also had a real big fear about rupturing and not seeing her being born. And I Mm. looked into rupture a lot and I knew that it's a very, very low percentage of women who actually do rupture, and out of that small percentage, it's an even smaller percentage of it being catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And so I yep. knew that. I knew the facts. I knew it logically, but it was still something that scared me in my mind of missing out on seeing her being born. I don't know. It's just something that I couldn't wrap my head around. But I was still like, I'm going to be back. I'm going to do it, and I know the facts, and I'm just going to I'm gonna go for it. So let's see, 40 plus, 40 plus four, uh, my husband woke me up. He said, are you okay? In the middle of the night, I said, yeah, why? What's going on? He goes, you're just like making some weird moaning noises in your sleep. (laughs) And I was like, that, I was like, what? That's weird. And a contraction hit. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been like in labor. Sleeping. In my sleep and (laughs) was like moaning through my contractions. That is so funny. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so weird. So um, I was able to sleep through them because they were kind of far apart at that point. That's awesome. And then when the morning came, I was like, okay, like we're in early labor at this point. And if we're not in early labor, then it'll happen on another day. And I just went about my day. Normally, I didn't call my doctor. I didn't tell anyone I was in labor, to be honest, except for my husband. And every once in a while, I would get in contraction that just required a little bit more focus. And I would just come to my room and I would get through it and I would go back to my regular day with my kids and nighttime came and everything kind of slowed down a little bit so I was able to lay down and go to sleep but then around three in the morning I believe it was I woke up and I was immediately couldn't breathe through my contractions I woke up I was in it and yeah I woke my husband up I said like this is it we need to call the babysitter to have her come over here because things are starting to move along and the hospital was, I live in L.A., so traffic, I mean, five <laughs> five miles down the street could take you an hour, you yeah. know what I mean, depending <laughs> on the traffic. So I said, call the babysitter so she can come down here and we can, you know, get going. By the time the babysitter got to us, my contractions were about five minutes apart at that point. They were painful, but I was getting through them. We got to the hospital, checked in, and as soon as we got to the hospital, I could feel my contractions, like, busily now you know, Hmm. which I knew was normal, right? Like physiologically, birthing women, just like any other mammal, you come in contact with a lot of lights and sounds and people you don't know in labor has to slow down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is normal. I am in labor. This is normal. 
So they checked me, and I was five centimeters at that point with a bulging bag of water. So I texted my provider, and I said, hey, I'm at the hospital, five centimeters. And he was at another hospital at that time. So he was like, oh, well, let me see if I can leave here to come to you where you're at. So I was like, oh, no, I hope I don't get stuck not having him not having him here, but the hospital that was that had midwives on call and there was tons of midwives there that day that were being really awesome. They were mm-hmm. like, sure, get up, walk around. Like nobody really fought me on my birth plan, to be honest. Like they weren't like, you have to stay out of the monitor and you can't do this and you can't do that. Good. They were like, oh yeah, it's like, get up, walk around. Like you can do what you need to do. That's fine. And they put a lot of pressure on me that day because there was like three other VBACs that day at the hospital and they were like you're our best candidate today so wow awesome (laughs) (laughs) and I was like oh my gosh don't put that pressure on me (laughs) so uh let's see I was in triage I feel like forever because they were so packed that day and I was just walking around my room pacing the room and going through contractions they came and checked me again and I was at a six and she said I was very stretchy So they were trying to hurry up and open up a room for me upstairs. And at that point, like, I had to poop really bad. Like, my bowels just, like, emptied themselves out like crazy. So I was like, okay, this baby's going to come soon because that's a sign Mm -hmm. that baby's coming down and things are clearing out. So they brought me upstairs to my room. And there was a midwife there on call that that I didn't know. And she came in and she was like, hey, well... If you didn't get an epidural, I recommend that you do it like now because you're progressing. And if you wait any longer, you're not going to be able to get the epidural. And if you rupture and you don't have an epidural, you're not going to be able to see your baby born. And I knew that what she was saying to me was complete BS. Yeah. Because I had already had this conversation with my provider Mm -hmm. about if I don't have an epidural, what's going to happen if I do rupture? And he said, well, if it's not a crazy rupture, which usually most ruptures aren't aren't crazy there's enough time for me to get you situated and you know it's not going to be I'm not going to have to knock you out he said if it's something that is baby needs to come out now it doesn't matter if you have an epidural in or in or out I have to put you under because I have seconds to get your baby out Mm -hmm. so I have because it takes a long time for the epidural to take effect enough for surgery it takes way longer for that even if you already have it placed than it does um, to knock you out yeah that's what he said he said I I don't have 15, 20 minutes for someone to come in and top off your epidural. I have seconds to get your baby out. So whether you have it in or, in or out, I'm going to put you to sleep. So it's up to you if you want to have an epidural or not. It doesn't make a difference, to be honest. And so I went in there knowing that. And, and I hadn't made up my mind really about whether I wanted an epidural or not. I just knew that I didn't want an epidural that was going to fail. Right. Like I did, the, like happened the first time. That was a I was scared to have a failed epidural yeah. and I was also scared to like be put to sleep because I didn't want an epidural, which I knew wasn't a, something logical. But here I had a midwife in my face telling me you need to do it now or otherwise if something happens, we're going to have to knock you out. And I feel like it made me more scared. And every time she would talk to me, my blood pressure would creep up and my, oh my pulse gosh. would start to creep up. Yeah. And she'd be like, what's going on? Are you okay? I'm like, cause you're talking to me about rupturing. You're scaring yes. me. Yeah. You know? This you isn't good for my mental go state down? here. <laughs> yeah. Like you want my blood pressure to go down and my pulse to go down. Then I need you to leave the room. Like you are scaring me. Mm-hmm. And my provider, I kept in contact with him on the phone the whole time. Cause he still wasn't able to get to me. And he was basically just like, you're doing fine. You don't need to do anything. 
like you're in control, you can refuse anything. And at that point, I was still like six centimeters. I hadn't progressed very much. And I think it was because all the talking of rupturing that she was having with me was stalling me. Mm-hmm. I knew that like in my yep. mind. And so she was like, you need, you know, if you're not progressing soon, we need to start Pitocin, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. My baby's fine. I'm fine. I'm just going to keep laboring and baby's going to come out on its own. I don't need to do anything. And my provider also told me, you don't need to do anything. You're fine. And your baby's fine. Just give it. We just need to give it time. Yep. Just give it time. And so again, she just kept coming in with talking about the epidural, talking about the epidural. And then I got into a state of panic. I got into a state of what if I do rupture and they do have to put me to sleep and I'm not able to see her being born. And I got into a panic and, and I was like, I'm just going to get the epidural because if I, if I stay in this state of panic, my baby's not going to come out. Yep. My baby's not going to come out. So I was trying to figure a way of getting back into relaxing so she could come out because I, what I didn't want to do is to stay in the state of panic. And then I have a repeat cesarean. Exactly. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. And so I was like, I'm just going to get the epidural because I know that once I get this fear out of me and I can feel like that's not going to happen anymore. This baby's going to come out. Mm-hmm. And so I talked it over with my husband. He's like, babe, like, if that's what you want to do, do it. You know, like, I can't tell you what to do. It's your body, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I got an epidural, but I told the anesthesiologist, look, I had a really bad experience with an epidural with my first birth that failed, and it left me in an extreme amount of pain. I need you to make sure that this is going to work. Like, I mm-hmm. need to not be in pain, please. And so he understood and he was very careful and the epidural worked perfectly. And so once it was in, I, I was like, I said, everybody get the hell out of my room, turn off the lights, give me a peanut ball and start turning me over and over every 15, 20 minutes. I need to keep this baby moving and my pelvis open. And that's exactly what happened. So after about an hour, my water broke. So I was like, cool, everything's going to start happening really quickly now. And then I felt her, like, drop, almost like a floodgate opened. Like, I felt her drop, like, really heavily into my pelvis. Yeah, and so I kind of, I knew at that point, like, she was there, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, the midwife came in, and she checked me, and she was like, your whole baby's head's in my hand right now. You're ready to push. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. And I started bawling I was crying I was like thank you God like this baby is gonna come out of my vagina I'm at the end you know it just felt really good to be touching the finish line at that point you Mm -hmm. know and so she let's see I pushed once and then my doctor came flying into the room and I was like oh my god Dr. Shabir is here like you made it And so he let the midwife kind of assist me at that point. He didn't want to interrupt what she was doing. And I wasn't on my back. I was sitting up and I wasn't in stirrups. I didn't want to be on my back pushing for hours and hours. I didn't want to be in stirrups. I, so I sat up and just the midwife sat on the bed next to me. Mm-hmm. And she, she stayed really hands off, to be honest. I gave another push and her head came out. Awesome. And then I gave another push and she came out. I think I pushed like three times maybe at the most. So, yeah, she came out and she came right to me and she had 
them meconium. So they had extra people in the room to check the meconium. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a little heavier than what, than what they would like. So they were kind of there ready to grab her from me. And my, my OB kind of stepped in and said, leave the baby where she's at. She's fine. And awesome. so, cause he knew how much it meant for her to be with me. Yeah. And she started crying and she started pinking up. So everybody kind of just backed off and they, you know, let us be. And I'm so happy that he advocated for me at that point. Cause that would have been really hard to see her go away from me when she necessarily didn't need to be away from me. Mm -hmm. And it was like so awesome. She was looking at me and she was crying and I was like, Oh my God, like we did it. I can't believe we did it. And it was like such an amazing experience of feeling like people were on my side. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was in control of so much more during this birth than any of my other births. Mm -hmm. So after that birth, that's kind of when Badass Mother Birther was like born. To be honest, well, which would have been almost <laughs> oh, years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, like your page is just so amazing, and you are, and and obviously, I and I said this kind of in in an episode with a chiropractor that I feel I truly feel that when people are inspired off of their based off of their own life experiences and turn that into a profession or go into that line of a profession, they're just so much more right. like passionate and inspired. And girl, you are. You are. You <laughs> yes. are inspired. And you inspire thousands, uh, literally. Um, hundreds hundreds of, thousands. of thousands. Yeah, really. I hope so. Um, so many people um, out there. And, and to let them know, like, you have options. You have choices. And don't be scared yes. to stand up for them. And yeah. don't be scared to educate yourself and have them right there in your pocket because you'll have – and this it's sad. It breaks my heart that we have doctors mm -hmm. saying, well, I mean, you could do this and we could decapitate your baby. Like, yep. what? Yeah. And that's why women yeah. get scared into repeat cesareans. Yes. That's why women don't yeah. advocate for themselves. And that's why women don't Absolutely. take charge of their own births because providers like that yeah. – are telling them mm -hmm. that their babies will die and that they will die. Yeah, Absolutely. or or they'll scare them with like, well, you won't be a part of your baby's birth. Well, it's like, well, right? Yeah. Uh, will I? Will I not be a part of my baby's birth, or is that just a scare tactic? Mm -hmm. And you know, it's just it drives me. It drives me kind of yeah. crazy. I could go off on a big tangent. It drives but me. It it drives me crazy too, girl. And it's like the difference between the provider that I had for my C-section and Dr. Shavita, which is who I had my VVAC with is like night and day. Like they're such different mm -hmm. providers. Like it's amazing how amazing it feels to have a provider who believes in birth and yep. the provider that I had believed in birth. He believed in my ability to have a baby. He believed in me having a breech baby. If that's what I, what I felt that I needed to do. He believed in me having options and choices and not pushing me to do something that he wanted me to do and even when it came to hospital protocol, when I said, if my baby's breached, I'm still going for this VBAC. He said, the hospital is not going to like it, but it doesn't matter because it's your birth at that point. And if that's what you yes. want me to do, then that's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. yes. And I felt really good about it. And my pregnancy was really good. And I didn't have GBS. I, you know, I was, I was negative. I didn't have gestational diabetes. Like I, because my stress level was so low because of him, my pregnancy was amazing. Right. And so when Badass Mother Birther was born, I what I kind of was seeing 
online was these really big gaps of like home birth or free birth or hospital birth fully medicated with interventions. I wasn't seeing those gaps being filled. And what I mean by the, those gaps is you can't tell someone if they don't want an, a, a birth that's free of interventions that their next option is a home birth or to free birth. Yeah. Because logically, most people, whether it's because of insurance or finances or because they feel safer in a hospital, are going to be birthing in a hospital. And you are not helping most families if you are telling them, then just don't go to that environment. The way to help people is, okay, have your baby in that environment if that's what you need to do, if that's what you feel you need to do. But know your choices. Know your options. Know that you're in control. So I felt like my page has kind of been geared around, around that is really helping people not just telling them then just don't birth there yep or if you don't feel safe at home then go to the hospital i mean people need options on every single level it's not just one way or another do you understand what i'm saying yep mm-hmm. yep yep and well, i feel like a lot of um i'm out there trying to bust a lot of myths you know like nuchal mm-hmm. cords and big babies and small oh, pelvises and, and these are mm-hmm. a lot of things that that as parents, we pass along to each other. Like, we tell each other these stories of my baby had a nuchal cord or my baby almost died and if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for that, you know, like, I would have died and my baby would have died. Like, we pass along all these stories to each other in passing. It's not just the providers. And we really believe it. Yep, it's, it's true. It's not BS. Like, the person really believes it when they're telling you that story. Yeah. You know, so I also I want to hold space for people when they really believe that those things are happening to them. But I also want to put the right information out there so people can know that not I don't want to say that births aren't fragile because they are fragile. They are. And but the mother's fragile, too. But some things are emergencies and some things are not. Yeah. And people don't know what that line is. Mm -hmm. They don't know what that line is, you know. And I'm also a birth worker that believes that if a mother isn't doing good or a baby isn't doing good, interventions are there for a reason. Yep. But I also feel like interventions are overly used and they're overly used and played and piggybacked off of moms just by scaring them. If you tell a mother that her baby is going to die, she's going to do anything you tell her to do. She's going to do anything you tell her to do. Absolutely. And so the system has a really hard time when people come in there and they know what they want to do with their birth and they have their evidence, they have a really hard time and make people feel like, well, you must not love your baby enough because you're not doing what we're telling you to do. And that's not it. That's not it. Yep. Yep. Well, that's the only way to get the system to change too, is by educating the individual woman and having her advocate for herself and ask the right questions. And the more and more people do that, it's just hospitals, are and birth just generally is a is a is a business it's a business and the Mm -hmm. birthing people are the consumer and the hospital and the birth centers and these midwives and the providers and the OBGYNs they are the business and the more consumers that demand things that the business doesn't provide the more likely the business is going to be to shift how it does business to meet the needs of their changing customer base and so by the individual person and the individual parent becoming educated knowing what's a true emergency knowing how to avoid the emergencies in the first place you know where you can because like you said sometimes 
um, interventions and cesareans are truly necessary and they are life-saving. Megan mm-hmm. and I have both seen it yeah. um, many times. Yeah, but knowing how to tell the difference and how to safely avoid interventions that are not necessary is mm-hmm. huge. It's huge. And by educating these women is the biggest way that we can help change how the United States handles maternity care. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think that doulas and like people like you guys or people like me or like the midwives, we fill in the gaps of yep. educating people on physiological birth because providers, they they are not trained on what a physiological birth looks like yep. or what it is. They're trained on they emergencies don't know that people and need, problems and how yeah, to fix them. Yeah, exactly. And so I feel like for me as a doula with my clients that are birthing in the hospitals, I try to fill that gap for them. Yep. I go in there and I'm like, let's turn the lights off. Let's do essential oils. Let's use soft voices. If someone's having a contraction, we're not standing above the mother. We are are kneeling next to her. We are not talking through the contractions. We are giving her soft, soft touch. We are keeping her near her baby. If she has any fear, we are talking about the fear. We are working with her with the level of the mind in connection with the body. Mm -hmm. And when you go to a hospital just by yourself without someone to help you fill that gap, it can set back the labor and people don't under people don't understand that they don't understand birth from a a mammal level yeah understand what i'm saying yep they don't and so i feel like that's been a big part of my page too is getting people to understand you are a mammal things will shut down your labor there are things that your mind needs to fulfill the process of a birth there are things that your baby needs physiologically when they are born for attachment and bonding and breastfeeding. And so getting people to kind of understand that has helped them tremendously through their birth a lot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I could seriously listen to you talk all night long. Yeah, let's do this again, okay? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. I seriously, I love you. I think you're amazing. Your words truly do inspire. And they are. They're just directly from the heart. And they're speaking just volumes of truth. And it's so important for women to really know their rights, to know, just to know where they, I don't know, where they truly are coming from, too. Like, I feel like when it comes to a provider, right, you need a provider who's going Mm -hmm. to, like, I feel like your provider trusted you. Mm Mm-hmm. Trusted you. And, and yeah, okay, like, okay, well, this could happen, this could happen, but if that's not what you want to do, we're going to do what you want. Exactly. And and gave you, and I don't know, trusted in you, and that's so important because so many doctors um, and providers, they don't trust these women. They don't trust no. the intuition. And because, mm-hmm. he, and because he trusted me, I was able to trust him in return. Exactly. And what I mean by that Reciprocated. is if yeah. he were to have come to me and said, listen, baby's not doing good or you're not doing good and you need to have a cesarean, I would have trusted his word on that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is so important to be able to trust your provider when they tell you something like that. And so there was a mutual trust between the both of us, which was an amazing feeling to have with a provider, which is something that most women don't experience, to be honest. And it makes me feel really sad for people. I get messages from people all the time telling me about their traumatic births and just things that happen to them. And they come to me to hold space for them. And that's what I do. I hold space for people. I don't, I like to validate people's feelings because I don't feel like 
anything is too stupid to cry over. You know what I, I know. mean? Yes, People will I agree. say, oh, your baby's healthy, so just mm-hmm, be happy. And that's, mm-hmm. and for There's me, more I to feel it. like, Yes, like women are not vessels. We are humans. We are people. We remember the things that happen to us for the rest of our lives, especially during the births of our children. I've talked to women who are in their 90s who tell me about their births and they have tears in their eyes. Mm. They remember things that happen to them and Mm -hmm. they can affect you for the rest of your life. Postpartum depression is a huge problem. Oh, yeah. Maternal suicide is a huge problem. People mm-hmm. aren't realizing that these are directly correlated to our mental health history and how we are birthing, how we are treated during birth. But most of our parents in society has raised us to doctor knows best and you do what the doctor tells you to do. And as yep. soon as we go into the doctor's office, it's like whatever the doctor says, whatever they need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And literally the hospital is the only place where I see women be treated so abusively and yep. it's okay yep if the things that happen in a hospital were to happen outside of those doors people would be going to jail and that's yep. real that what is I'm telling true. you right there yep that I've is seen it so too. real mm-hmm. and it's disheartening but you know that's what badass when the birthers there for that's mm-hmm. what you guys are there for and all these other social media outlets is there to tell people you do not lose your bodily autonomy as soon as you walk into those doors you are allowed to say no Yep, if you yep. don't want anybody touching you, nobody's nobody's allowed to touch you. You are you are in charge. When people figure that out, they go into their birth with a whole new world of perspective and possibility. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Yep, it absolutely is. We've seen it. We see it happen all the time. Um and and that's really true. Um I was just going to say, do you know what something that bugs me so much? is I've had a couple of clients just recently say like, oh, I totally understand why people say the moment you have a baby, you know, all your values and all your decency goes out the window. And like it, there's no, no there's, dignity there's in childbirth. Dignity. Yeah, it's like it just bugs me because I've had a couple of clients that, you know, not everyone just wants to like have their vaginas like out in the open and not everyone wants to like be naked and be exposed and have 5 million people looking at their vagina or putting their hands on their vagina. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to understand that. Like you do not have to have five people do a cervical check. You know, there's residents and stuff. You don't have to, you don't have to be uncovered Mm -hmm. to have a cervical check. And so I think that's something too, like, you know, you, you don't stand up for yourself. If you're uncomfortable, you're probably going to clam up and it's not going to help your cervix anyway. So yeah, be true to yourself and know what you want and speak that to your team and let them know, Hey, this is not what I want. So. Yep. Don't be afraid to fire anybody that comes into your birth space. Yeah. Even in the middle of labor, kick nurses out, ask for the charge nurse, ask for a new nurse. You're in charge. And if anyone's making you feel like you're not in charge, then, then that needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally, before labor begins, but if it has to in the middle of labor, make it change. Mm-hmm. Make your needs known. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Well, Floor, thank you so stinking much <laughs> for being with us tonight because I 
I just love you and I think the world of you and I love what you're doing and your your page is so inspiring and I love going over and seeing like when Instagram says that you're live I'm like Ooh, I want to go see right now like I will stop my life <laughs> I'm telling my kids be quiet like I want to hear her I want to hear what she's saying because I just I, I just think you're amazing and I love what you're doing and I love your stories and everything about you so Again, everyone, if you did not pause the episode before, <laughs> go right now and and add badass mother brother on Instagram and Facebook. You guys will not regret it. She's incredible. Her words are incredible, as you heard in this episode. Yep, absolutely. We want to just um, speak for two seconds um, to women who um, are dealing with birth trauma or have those fears surrounding childbirth based on their past experiences. We deal with that a lot at, at the VBAC link. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the things we go over in our classes, in our challenges, and in a lot of things that we do. And so we want to just refer you to our blog, the VBAClink.com slash blog. And um, we have a blog called How to Heal from Birth Trauma. It's going to talk about all the causes of birth trauma, um, how to get help for it, how to identify when it's something that might need more attention and where to go when it does need more attention. We have a wonderful recommendation for some books and other resources um, to help you deal with that past trauma. So make sure you head over there, thevbacklink.com slash blog, and um, scroll till you find the blog called How to Heal from Birth Trauma. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to thevbacklink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.